There was a huge shift that we went through in our business that completely changed everything. And that was, you know, and people go, it's like they watch these ads, yo, for real estate investing, wholesale, make money, make money, me, 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 right? And everything is oriented. You see people posting checks. Those checks are about the business, right? It's like, that's how I made money, right? That's about me, 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 me as an investor. How do I make money? Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today we have Ty Silver on, a man who's got a massive social media following, who's done some crazy things in real estate. He's built Deal Flight, which is an automation CRM process to help investors do a lot of deals. He's doing a lot of big wholesale operations now, like 350K plus in the luxury market. He's moving into industrial. This guy just got started in 2015, which is the same year I got started. So we share that in common. Ty, thank you so much for coming on. And as always, if you'll share what is the craziest real estate experience you've had so far. First of all, man, thank you for having me here. Greatly appreciate being here. Great and appreciate you having me on. Um, so you said the craziest deal that I've done, man, oh man, I said, it's hard, it's hard, hard to pick. Um, I would say there was one time I had a deal that I was working on for about five to six months, really trying to work with the seller and help her get a deal done. And um, uh, she had to go to evict her mother out of a property that she was apparently squatting in or something like that. So it was months to get it to that day. And in order to help the seller, she lived about an hour away from that property. So I set her up with a hotel. So she, cause she actually had a lot of um, like physical disorders. So it was hard for her to move around. So I said, Hey, the night before, why don't you, uh, why don't you um, drive to a hotel right next to the court? And you know, you'll be there in the morning, got it all set up. And that night I went to a RIA real estate investment meeting. And while I'm there, I get a call from uh, her number and I pick it up and I thought it was her thinking she got there and it was the police, the state police. And I was apparently the last person that she called and she got so nervous that she overdosed on drugs on the way to the courtroom. Cause she was so overwhelmed by this meeting with her mom. Uh, she got a DUI, got arrested, went to jail. And at three, four in the morning, she calls me. She's like, we got to still go to court. We still got to get the deal done. So at four in the morning, I drive down. I basically bailed her out of jail, took her to her crunched up car to get her clothes, drove her to the court and uh, saved the deal. So um, yeah, that was pretty much I think, the craziest <laughs> yeah. deal I've had to do. I mean, there is a few others that compete with that, but that's definitely up there. That is so wild, man. Like what's running through your mind as, as you throw her in your car and you're heading down? Dude, I'll never forget. Like, it's like you, when you never experienced something like that before, you're trying to know like what to do. So I remember when she had, we're at, we're at where her crunched up car was and I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, she was alive after seeing it, how, you know, after seeing the, what happened from the accident. And I remember we're just like on the street, it's 10 minutes till the court starts. And I'm just like, here's your clothes. Like I'll close my eyes and go change like around the corner and get back in and let's go. It was yeah. like, kind of what, what, whatever it'll take to get it done. You know what I mean? And we were both on the same page about it. So it was just insane. Ah. And she was yeah. the seller or how was she involved in the deal? 
So she she owned the property. So it's a very strange situation. So she owned yeah. the property. Her mom deeded it to her, but she was the mom was still living in it. And then she was trying to sell a property to us. Ironically enough, that deal, I don't know if you guys know about filing a memorandum of agreement. So because we put a memorandum of purchase agreement on it, we were able to cloud title because the mom ended up trying to cut us out of the deal. And the mom ended up paying us to release that memo in order to get it done. So uh, still nice. made money in another way, but you got you to gotta always know how to, I guess, make money in the business and protect your interest in your agreements. So I get creative sometimes. It's a really cool story. Many, many investors I talk to either don't file a memorandum of agreement or even when they do, they end up fighting with the the person and so on and so forth. But it's cool that you actually got that done. We're able to get paid on that deal. Oh, yeah. Because as you know, we get oh. cut out of deals a lot, right? Sellers are oh, always trying to cut us out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Love it. All right. So you got in in 2015, and but you went right away. You went into the investing side, right? You never played the role of the agent? Yeah, no. So I never was an agent. Um, I was... I, I so in 2014 is when I people say when did you start right I closed my first deal in August of 15 but I started like learning in like January of 14 so it was about a year and a half of going to like RIA meetings and learning and um, yeah never was an agent I went straight into learning the investment stuff yeah that's awesome and so so tell us about your journey I mean 18 months is a long time I mean like were, oh, yeah. were you really after it was it just oh man. were you getting discouraged. Oh, extremely, man. It was one of the hardest things. That was in the days where I was trying to find some sort of like, like side hustle income to make. And, you know, I was trying Shopify stores and this and that. I had a few other kind of side businesses I was running, but real estate was like the most real concrete thing. There was a meeting every month I attended. But before even that existed, you know, I was working as a waiter and, uh, you know, I was in New York City. So, my 45 minute subway ride, all I was doing was writing yellow letters back and forth and just till my hand hurt, manually folding them up, manually mailing them out. And man, there were the days I'd be posting on Craigslist and so many times I'll go to bed and be like, is it even worth making another Craigslist post? Like, is it even like, like how, like I would say, how many times, how many times are you going to do this? How many times? Because looking back in reality, it was such a small amount of volume that I was doing to get that first deal you know, to, to get it. But I just, I just never gave up on it. That's really all it came down to. So when did things really start to hockey stick for you? Um, at the beginning of the journey or just kind of along the journey? Yeah. So at what point did things like just really point upwards? Okay, sure. So, um, I, I met a guy on a Facebook group actually. And, um, he said, I'm looking for someone to, uh, like do marketing and I could do like, I could be out there boots on the ground essentially. So I, you know, linked up with him. I got in a bus and I took a four hour bus to meet this guy. Luckily I didn't, you know, get chopped up and that guy's still a friend of mine to this day. Just meet a stranger online, I guess. So, um, yeah, no, we, we linked up and we started running some marketing together and that's how I closed my first deal. Uh, it was seven grand. It was actually a virtual deal, believe it or not. So hmm. I was in a New York, which is a difficult market with how many lawyers are involved in every transaction. And my first deal ended up being virtual. And then I went like, try to go back to New York where I was and when in reality, you know, two to 300 deals later, most of them ended up being virtual, but it took me a while to to pivot back there. So. Yeah. 
what market did you find your first success in? So that was in um, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in that market. There's a few counties. It was my first deal was in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Um, we got it for like 17 grand and sold it for like 23K and we split. I think we each made like like three or 3,500 bucks after the split. It was something, but, but it, was, it was something, man. It was that first deal, you know, and then everything kind of went up from there. So it was like the monkey's off your back. Now you know this works. Did, it, did yeah. it allow you to like work hard or what happened after your first deal? So, so this is where it kind of got a little weird because I closed the first deal and I was expecting to feel like Superman, like, like I was this new person, like I had this new identity, but it's kind of like, it could have been a phone. Like, like once it got done, I'm like, I don't feel any more special. I just feel like Tyler with 3000 more dollars. You know what I mean? I was like waiting for this like feeling right. that, I, you know, so after that, um, I kind of just had a little more confidence, but I still wasn't a hundred percent there. Like I would walk into these houses that were like three, four hundred thousand dollars and like scared to sign a purchase agreement because I didn't have three, four hundred thousand dollars. And after I think it was my third deal that I closed, the buyer just kind of went up to me and was like, Do you have anything else? And I'm like, No. And he's like, Well, I have a million dollars cash in my bank, and I know because he just closed this deal and we had a proof of funds. And he's like, go find me more deals. And the second that that happened, I felt like I had a million dollars in my bank. The buyer performed. I know he does it. So now I'm walking around talking to everyone like I have a million dollars in my bank because he's just going to do, you know, if I find the deal, he'll perform. So that like completely changed my perspective of the game. And then I sold a bunch of deals to him and I'm still friends with him to this day. I even did a rehab with him a few years ago. So, you know, we kind of evolved our relationship over time. So in your business journey, at what point did you go from just selling a lot of deals to like either doing them yourself or, I mean, obviously you guys have deal flight. So kind of talk to us yeah. about your business evolution. Absolutely. So um, my, my journey kind of went from doing a few deals kind of here and there, very off, you know, on the side, but still a few deals could make a hundred grand pretty quick, five deals, 20 K, you know, as a side hustle. Um, and then uh, for a few years, I picked up a full-time job. I said, I want to have like a steady income while I'm growing this. So I don't feel like I have to like keep knocking into my business expenses to to grow. So once I did that, I uh, started working with a business partner and uh, we leveraged each other's experiences. And that was um, a big push for us. But what happened was the first year that we did that, um, we did about 12 deals and that uh, was about 250 grand in revenue. And within that, you know, we picked up a rehab in there. We, we did some wholesales. Um, I think a sub two was in there. Uh, um, but what happened was 250 grand after expenses, call it 125 divided by two, you know, we're walking with 60 K a piece after a lot of work. Right. And I'm like, we, we both said something's gotta, something's gotta give, like we, we gotta be, there has to be another way. Like that wasn't even worth all of our time. So then the next year is where everything changed. That was when we started going to some educational conferences. And, you know, after going to a few of them, we kind of learned about virtual deals, like doing it virtually. We got really good at doing them locally. So we said, okay, how could we do this virtually? So we got super excited about this. We hire like 10 cold callers, text, and it became with our full-time jobs, it became crazy overwhelming. It was like wild. We were getting like 
way too many leads in. And what happened was we did like another 30 deals, 40 deals or something like that. And we hadn't even again profited that much because we overdid it on the expenses. And again, this is a big thing I talk about at Deal Flight and Life by Design is we went to an event, we learned what other people were doing, but we didn't apply it to our life, what we were good at, what our time availability looked like. We just copy and pasted what they were doing in our life. And that's why we ran into a jam. We had a very serious conversation one day. We're like, dude, what works for us? How can we apply this to our lives, these strategies, this? And right when we did that, we reset our goals. We re, you know, set that foundation. I swear we went from that consistent, like grind of just not getting there to, it was like, 50K a month, 50K a month, 100K a month, 50, 150K a month, all as a side hustle. We were doing about five to seven deals a month, clearing 100K easily once we got grounded in what worked for us in virtual deals. So that was kind of really what, what picked everything what up. What were the changes? Yeah, what were so, the changes you I'll, made specifically? I'll give you some examples. Like, you know, we go to these events, we're like, hire cold callers, hire texters. Da, da, that, that's a lot of inbound leads coming in. So our situation was we have a limited amount of time, right? So we pivoted and, and we said, well, how could we maximize our time? And for us, after having some money, you know, saved up from doing our deals, we focused on doing online lead generation, which is inbound leads. And we were complete phone savages on, so we didn't go and hire out right? We were just saying, you know, let's monitor this ourselves. Let's do this ourselves. We'll put in the work ourselves. There's not going to be a high lead inflow, right? So every like, and we're good on the phone. So it's not like we have a VA that we have to manage or anything. So every like 10 to 15 leads, we're scooping up a 20K deal, you know, six, seven deals later, that's it, you know? And, and because New York had a lot of attorneys, we were, we were specifically picking states that were non-attorney states in good markets where we knew there was a lot of volume, people we could JV with, easy disposition of deals. And we were also flat fee MLSing deals for disposition. So we were listing deals on the market um, where it was legal and where it was allowed. There's a lot of different jurisdictions in every area to do that. But if I were to throw out some like areas that we were doing deals like Columbus, Ohio, areas in Texas, areas in Florida, and we would just test markets. We'd be like, hey, there's a bunch of people look like they're doing deals. And we, we would ask people before, like, what's your average assignment fee look like? But even if someone said they had an average assignment fee, just a funny story. Someone in Columbus, Ohio told us their average assignment fee was like thirty to $40,000 once. And that's the only, it's like, it's like the four minute mile. Like, that's what they told us. And we're like, oh man, that must be a good market. So we pre-framed all of our deals to be clearing on average, like a low deal for us was 25. 30 to 40,000. And then everyone else we talked to after that, they're like, oh, we make five, 10, 15. I'm like, wow, just because that one guy said to us, he makes 30 to 40,000. Then we had that like pre-framed in our brain to always aim for that in that market. And we were always hitting it, it because you're always factoring that in. Yeah. I want to go deep into sales with you. I love sales. It's a huge passion of mine. It's I think it's what make the world go round, particularly in this type of thing. I mean, obviously, it's what took you from barely making any money to making hundred figure profits a month. What what would you say is your claim to fame, or or what's your sales process to get you so such great results? Absolutely, dude. There was a huge shift that we went through in our business that completely changed everything, and that was. 
you know, and people go, it's like they watch these ads, yo, real estate investing, wholesale, make money, make money, me, 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 right? And everything is oriented. You see people posting checks. Those checks are about the business, right? It's like, that's how I made money, right? That's about me, 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 me as an investor. How do I make money? So it doesn't really frame the mindset of that investor to understand how to position their service for a customer. Because they're going into it thinking about themselves versus thinking about how a customer is receiving their service that they're providing. So we started off like that and we were doing deals like that. You know, we're helping people, da, 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 da. But when everything changed was when we established a process, like a three-step process of how to approach a homeowner, basically like the Happy Meal version of a process, a system that someone could follow along that... They understand how to work with us. Does it make sense? Are we on the same page? Do we understand, right? See, this is what I always do if I give a visual. This is how a lot of people talk in business. They're like, I want 300K. We could offer you 50. Could you come up to this, right? That's not, that's what we used to do. What we do is this. So there's two people. We come to this side and we're talking to them like almost like a friend. And we're, uh, we're saying, okay, we kind of put our arm around them and saying, hey, well, you know, there, there's different offers that we can go with, like, and we walk them through the process. We understand because when you're not coming from a place of understanding from a seller, you're going back and forth with them. I'm going to give you an example. If the seller says, you know, I want, you know, what you say, what's going on? And they tell you what's going on before you say your next line. It is so important to repeat back to them what they just said so they know that you understand what they just said and once you repeat back to them okay so i just want to make sure i understand your mom passed away you have this house kind of summarize it up in a nice bucket am i are we on the same page yes the second you get that yes you guys are on the same side of the conversation you're not going back and forth about price or anything like that so that's also a huge thing that we do Love this. I mean, this is a huge part of the sales process that I've done in B2B as well. So basically you're, you're asking a series of questions to get their full story out. Like in this case, an example of what happened with their mom, what their goals are, et cetera, all of these things, not immediately responding to their desired price, but you're getting the full picture and then you're packaging it up in a bow and making them do the stamp of approval. that You understand their situation. Dude, a hundred percent. And it goes, I mean, the what's go our, our first question is usually just, Hey, what's going on? Open ended. You don't want, you don't let them go on too long if they're going to go on crazy long, but what's going on? Repeat back. They say yes. Then you walk them through the call, the structure of the call, how long it's going to be. Does that make sense? Do they have the time or there? And, and you know, and, and what our process is, does that make sense? Are we on the same page and really setting up that call? And it sounds so professional how we do it too. It sounds like a business. It doesn't sound like, you know, Joe Schmo, like, you know what I'm saying? It sounds like a really put together offering that someone is receptive to. Um, and um, yeah, that's really it. <laughs> so you package, you package up what they're saying. What's the next part of the sales call for you? Well, we ask them questions about the, so the situation is really what it comes down to. I can tell you, man, there's plenty of houses. I could probably, I don't know if it's double digit houses, but that I've bought without ever talking about a price where we just complete an agreement because they understand that we can help them and we have all our best intention of, of doing so out of, you know, 
trust and whatever that we build and rapport on the phone call. Um, so we, we dive deep into the situation to see if it's a situation that we deeply understand that we can help. And then we move into finding out about the property to see if that's something that we can help them with. And then um, some people are a, a proponent of like, like doing comps with them on the phone and stuff like that. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I genuinely know usually going into a call, like where we need to be, especially because of the deal flight automation. Now, now that's like a whole other thing, but pre deal flight automation, um, you know, trying to gauge where they're at. And I'm a huge fan. I mean, do you want to go into some acquisition strategies here on the phone? Like the, the, the game. Totally. Stuff? Okay. Yeah. So, Oh Yeah. So you said, what's my claim to fame? So if anyone's listening here, perk yeah. your ears up because this is, this, is the, this is the game changer that I've been using for years. Top secret, deal flight secret I'll give out on this call. So our big thing is um, when we're negotiating, when it actually comes down to like price and things like that, and we, we want to buy the house, um, we like putting the decision power in their hands if it's their bottom number. So I'll give you an example. So if I'm talking to someone and, you know, I also believe, you know, if we're, if we're dispoing, if we're, see, here's the thing, if we're potentially dispoing off a property, but sometimes we keep it for ourselves, but there's usually another party involved, a financial partner or somebody, right? So I'll say, you know, we got to talk to our partner, which also uh, I got to talk to my partner or my boss or whatever comes off in that conversation. Um, and I'll say, I'll, so they'll say, let's say they say their number is 200,000 originally, right? And let's say I get them down to like 180 on the phone call, right? And they say 180 is my absolute bottom. What I'll say then is, okay, 180 is your bottom, right? Okay, I'm gonna speak with my partner. Let me ask you a question. If they come back and they are interested in the property, but the number is less than 180, do you not want me to call you back? Mic drop. Because Perfect. now if they say yes, you know, they are potentially interested at a lower number. And then I'll even say then if they say yes, I'll say, well, listen, I don't want to waste your time, my time, my boss's time, you know, cause I don't want to play this back and forth game. Right. It's, so what would be that number that that would be, you know, 170, 165, just gone down 15. That's it. Okay, so if it's less than 165, you don't want me to. Well, you, you can still call me back and make an offer, you see? And you just keep kind of going down. And then finally, you don't want to push it too hard either, but you're actually getting out that not waste your time number versus what this, they say their number is. And then let's say it's 165, and like, you know, I talked to my partner, and let's say in reality, we actually need to be at 150. I'll still call him back and be like, listen, you told me to call you back, or if they tell me not to call them back, I'll still call them back. I'll say, listen, I just out of courtesy, you know, I'll say they did come up with a number, but it was less than your number. I don't say the number you got to say the offer is the, is all you got on that phone call. People give the offer out right at the beginning. That goes so far. Why do you think they're on the phone with you? Yep. That's all the way at the end of that. Of all your that power. Can you give it mm -hmm. your, your conversation? They don't care about you anymore. It's all they want right from you, you know, we make an offer on your house. Well, what's the, well, in order for me to give that to you, this is what I need kind of from you in order to make that happen. I want to give you the, someone, sometimes they'll say like, what's the offer? I said, well, I can't give you the offer. So yeah, no, there's a lot of different uh, ways that we speak with sellers in order to get their true motivation out 
you know, on the phone call. So, you know, we're not wasting time with tons of people. How do you deal with the questions? Because sometimes when you're asking motivation-based questions of sellers, they get they can get irritated really quickly. Like, why are you asking this stuff, et cetera? What are some of the frameworks or strategies you use to, to get the full story? Dude, I rarely get that kind of stuff because of how we position the phone call. Everything that we do, we train our, my brain is so trained and how I train other people is everything is from the position of benefits from the seller, potential motivated seller. There is, even when it comes to a purchase agreement, I know how every single clause in that agreement is beneficial to them. Or I can position it that it's way it's beneficial to them. So if everything that you always say is the always, you know, I completely understand why you may be concerned about X, Y, Z. Let me explain why this is in there. This is in there because X, Y, and Z, right? That's that I, I rarely get anything like, usually the reason why we end up not buying a house is if we don't want to buy that house. I, I've had, I'll give you, and I'm, this is a true example. A seller once called. And she had four other offers on the house. It was a house in, I believe it was San Antonio. And I was in New York and she called, she filled out the website, we call her back. And she says, um, you know, I want to sell this property. I have four other offers. And I said, great. Well, why haven't you taken one of those offers? What, what are the, you know, she's, she even told me the numbers. It was like 52, 53, 54, five, something like those. Also, she's like, well, what's wrong with getting another offer? You know, I said, well, when are you looking to make a decision about selling the property, you know? And that usually that's the line I'll use if someone has, because I, I want to be the last, like, can you call me before you make that decision? And what ended yeah, up happening sure. was, yeah, what, what ended up happening was, um, I, I got something, I listened differently. I didn't give her an offer. You see, I listened to her. I built such a great relationship with this woman that she just, I don't know if she gained a lot more trust than me because I took the time to understand her type of personality. I know she was a psychologist. I know her husband, we were just talking and building such a strong relationship. I even showed her, I said, well, the reason why I can't pay any of those numbers was because, well, one, that was like close to where I needed to sell the deal off at essentially. And I said, like for me to buy it and for me to make anything on this deal, she even knew what I was doing. Like it was very clear, but I guess I was so transparent with her about it. And I even showed her the numbers of the similar. I said, someone, I said, what I wouldn't want to see for you is someone that's offering you this 55, knock you down later to 40 something. And then try to re like, I said, that's not what I'm trying to I actually know someone that might be interested in this property because of the deal flight process. That's a whole other, I already kind of knew before I was going to do the deal where I needed to be. Dude, she signed the deal with me with four other offers higher at 47. And then we, it wasn't a big deal, but we assigned it off in like the fifties, like mid fifties. And three years later, she just texted me saying, Hey, I have another property for sale. That was such a great experience I had. You know what I mean? So even with being super transparent, I'm huge on some people are like, some people are like, Oh, do you need to explain that you're going to wholesale the deal off? That's a, that's a very common question to a seller. What I believe totally. it's almost, I, I bring up McDonald's. When you go to McDonald's, they wrap that up in a Happy Meal. Could they go and say, listen, we have a bunch of diseased cows and all this stuff and we put chemicals in it and, and then you eat sick food. People don't need to know what they don't need to know if, because sometimes 
what will happen is if you share too much about your internal company process, that will dissuade a seller from actually doing business with you. And now you're not actually helping them in the way that you could have actually helped them if you were able to know how to properly package your services. That's what I got to say about that. Yeah. Let's talk about marketing. So you've got an inbound funnel. Um, and so that worked really well for you because you guys are closers and I could tell by your methodology and approach, what's the messaging, what's the, the structure, how are you getting these inbound leads coming in? Sure. Yeah. So this was primarily when we were focused on residential. So I've done a ton of stuff, a ton of different ways. So when we ran uh, primarily like inbound direct to seller residential, um, big proponent of SMS and cold calling to generate leads. However, a big reason why that was a secondary thing was when we were in a lot of virtual markets, when you do that stuff, you have to, excuse me, you have to invest in lists. You have to invest in skip tracing. It's kind of like, and then, and then how many months you're going to hit it and then you have to stay organized with it. And then it's just, and then those leads aren't even as hot as something that could come to you directly. So I'm a fan of if you're good at what you do, stick to like the inbound stuff that people are more motivated to come to. Now, everyone can't do that from the start. And it really just depends on your budget and your marketing and all that kind of stuff. For example, for industrial, <laughs> well, we, we buy warehouses.com. Like we haven't really, you know, done that. And we were even a proponent of, it's like, focus on what you're good at, right? If we're good at closing, I don't need to learn Google ads and I don't even need like, you could go hire a Google ad agency or something like that. There's plenty of these websites that we were just buying leads off of that instantly without needing to set up a campaign or a website. We're just sending leads to us. We were locking it up and moving them. And that was it. And that was literally our business model for a while until, you know, I would say our marketing budget was at like 20 to 30 grand a month. Um, my partner and I split up and I kind of went on my own. And I said, man, is there a way of doing deals like without having to have that big nut every month of like that ad spend. And that's when I got heavier into like the dispo model where we were just sourcing deals from other investors and then moving them to what we call our IDMs, our instant decision maker buyers and just cleaning up. And that's sort of how deal flight was born. The JV model. So people call it a JV model. Yeah. The model. JV model. Like, yeah. It's, so yeah. I would say it's a little bit different. So JV is when you like 50-50 on deals. Why people really liked working with us is because we never count or split a deal with somebody. We make an offer on that deal based on where we feel comfortable that we can make a profit on that deal. So for example, let's say someone did their job, a really good job of their job. They lock a deal up at 100K and they want to sell it off for 300K. If I have a buyer for 330 I'm not counting their money under that 300 if I could get it at 300 and sell it for 330. So when we're paying out these other wholesalers and investors, 60, 80 K, they keep coming back to us. You know, sometimes they may make 10 and we may make 30, right? But we're just making an offer based on where they're happy and where we're happy. And we lock the deal up on an assignment. And then we have, like I said, we only do these with what we call IDMs. So these are basically pre-qualified buyers that we've, worked with that almost some of them even have had uh, non-refundable well they were refundable all the time refundable earnest money deposits in escrow waiting to buy our next deal so it was just filling orders kind of you know what i mean of those really serious people so um 
it was a great process that we that we had going for a while for the residential side and that was before i did the 350k assignment that kind of opened my mind instead of making you know 10 15k 5k 20k on these like one at a time deals i'm like that's like 10 15 of those in one so how do i just do one instead of change it changes the game yeah, yeah. Dude, it was just to kind of put a bow on what you were saying exactly yeah it, and so basically as you're packaging up like what you were doing, you were limiting what you had to do just to finding people that like the end buyers and networking to find the deal. So you cut out all your marketing spend, you cut out a lot of process and just narrowed in Dude. and your profits went through the roof. And then, and then we automated it. So we didn't even have to find the buyers anymore. And we didn't even have to find, it was literally an email comes in, you paste the address in from another investor and it'll immediately pop up who would be interested in buying the deal. Wow. 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 And then all of a sudden the money's rolling. Now you find these big deals in luxury. Take us through where that journey takes you. Yeah. So what happened was, so essentially um, that was just like our internal process. And I was on this investment. It was like this commercial investor trip in Iceland actually. And after the trip, um, I was with this guy, we kind of extended our trip and we're sitting in a coffee shop right before we went to the airport to leave. And he saw my system and he worked at a coaching company. He's like, what's that? I'm like, that's just this automation I built internally that we use. He's like, dude, that is something that his coaching company could use. I'm like, well, this is just my process. And that's kind of how deal flight was born, where it was sort of this internal process that I had built to sell up our own deals. And before I said, ah, I've been to a lot of coaching events, you know, is deal flight, what is deal flight and how is this going to go? Um, I said, let me just kind of beta test for a year. It was a year that I beta tested and I took about just like six guys on. Um, I even invested in their marketing at the time to show that I, I was really committed to the process and believing in it. And most of them, one had done one deal, some had done none deal, no deals before. Um, and in the first year, collectively, it was only like four or five of them. It was over a million dollars in revenue closed deals that uh, one did nine, one did seven, one did 16, one did two, but one of those two was a 15K and a second deal was 350. I'm like, okay, we're on something here. You know what I mean? So, and that's sort of how deal flight was born. Incredible. And so where are you headed next? Next is, um, well, deal flight is essentially where uh, I get to work with other people and teach them all of these methods and that people could use the automation, which allows us to be able to joint venture with more people on the residential side. And what's really, what I love again about deal flight is it's not just me. So when you join, like, like if you were to go to a three-day mastermind, right, there's, you can learn from so many different people at that event. And, and today, in today's world, when you see like a lot of coaching programs, it's really based on like one person teaching. So what deal flight is, it's not just like me, it's there's multiple coaches teaching multiple different methods of how like one guy has content on novations, another guy has content on how his whole cold calling system works. So there's all this content there, which is really cool. And in addition to the automation and the ability to JV. So like, I'll tell those guys, I'll be like, listen, take the criteria of your top buyers don't say their names and put it in our sheet our jv sheet so when people join they could start sourcing deals for those investors for you and and you guys could do more deals together without me and that makes me feel great is like watching other people both six seven figure investors connecting them to 
newer or experienced students that want to grow their business and kind of connecting that together. So that's sort of one aspect. And the second aspect is uh, for more personal deals um, is the commercial and industrial. Um, I like, I don't want 70, six to seven deals a year could net you a million dollars and also gaining equity in those deals. So I'm, I'm aiming for personal less volume and more uh, equity in transactions. Um, I've done it on a few residential ones where I've gotten some like equity on a rehab or something like that, but not consistently. So that's where I'm headed next. Love it, man. And so deal flight, like what's your, obviously I know your vision for how you want it to help people, how you want to serve people. What's your vision for like, how big do you want to see that, that thing grow? Oh man. (laughs) I, I really see it. Um, exponential growth. We have a lot of great ideas inside of deal flight. I mean, I don't have a not exact number of students, but the, the capability of what it can do for people, I, I can only imagine. Again, this is something that I've spent over $100,000 in part of almost every named coaching program that's out there. So I finally put together something that I wish that I had that works for us. Like when we were doing the process, like kind of pre-automation, when we were just discoing off those deals, we did about 360 grand in six months. It was like probably like six to seven deals. It was like 36 deals, about around like 10 grand, I would say on average of those deals. And then we put the automation in place, right? And that's when we kind of started building out deal flight. Um, man, I just like working with people. So it's, and it's not even about a high volume of people. Like there's two guys that live in my town. And they're both students of mine. They were the ones that I kind of started off with. And to di- literally today, one of them is starting doing the commercial stuff. And we're going to JV on that together. And I just like working with people and leveraging skill sets. Like he loves doing acquisitions. You know, we had a beach bonfire party the other night. They both were there. You know, I just, like I said, it's that life by design, right? It's not about, and I don't really touch on this that much throughout the call, but in reality, Life by design is like everyone has a different skill set, right? That they really could hone into and utilizing. See, for many, many, many years, I would just slave away to make that money, right? And it was just exhausting. And I had offices and all this kind of stuff. When I realized, I'm like, that's not the life that I want to live. Yeah, okay, you're making money and everyone gets rah-rah about that. But dude, I found myself once like a Tony Robbins event, like crying, like, what am I doing with my life? Because I didn't enjoy it. Something very transactional didn't really excite me. So life by design for me is being able to do what I enjoy. While for someone, it could be something completely different, but everyone coming together and deal flight, you know, what I, when I first started, I was working a full-time job and I didn't have a lot of time to do a lot of these strategies. So a big proponent for us is like, I put models in there for like, if you have a little time and a little money, if you have a lot of time and I don't know, like the four different variations, if you have a lot of money, a lot of time, a little money, a little time, a lot of money, a little time, a little time, a lot of money, whatever. And I put everything in there so people could just follow their own path, you know, and, and just make the most out of what they have. Awesome. Ty Silver, thank you so much for sharing about your life, your business. I love how you ended that with it's about life by design, not about the money. Because I mean, the money's great and it gives you some some opportunities. 
but it's really about living the life that you want to live. So guys, if you're out there listening, write down something you learned today. Maybe it's the sales process. Maybe it's a specialization, not having to do the whole thing, but making tons of money on doing a small piece. Or maybe it's about the life design. Whatever it is, write it down. Share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.